So I'm going to go over a comprehensive analysis of the evidence that the scripture is true. So the first thing, how do we know the Bible is true? First thing that always comes up is the flood. Couldn't have happened. Well, there's actually flood myths in every continent on the earth where there's people inhabiting it. And how that happens, it's not a very good explanation to say that it's because they live in floodplains. The fact is, it always has the same story of one person surviving on a boat. And that's a common theme throughout all of them, which shows a common origin of the myth, which isn't so much a myth if you think it had to have actually happened if this is what's dispersed across the entire world. Second thing is the Lipid Ishtar, and this is a law of Mesopotamia that basically described what Abraham's behavior toward his prostitute Hagar was. And this was in 1950 BC, and it's important that we understand this because in 1950 BC, this is when Abraham would have lived. If you take up all the genealogies, I mean all the chronologies of the kings and stuff from Persian Restoration, which we have an exact date for that, it lines up exactly with 1950 BC because the judges would overlap and that's just a fact and so right when Abraham is said to live we find the Lipid Ishtar, which shows not only that Abraham lived, possibly, but also a continual transference of written data because this would have been impossibly hard to forge with Bronze Age information technology. It would have been impossible to forge a detail like that. And then there is something called the Wadi El Hol, which was a inscription in Egypt of cave scribings of basically ancient Canaanite script. And for those of you who say that there was no other people who had a different language in Egypt, there actually were it's written on this cave wall and this is dated to around 1850 BC right around the time when Joseph would be coming to Egypt and his people going there too which gets to another thing is in 1450 BC Pharaoh erected a pillar at the temple of Soleb it has the name of God Yahweh and also shows bound slaves being led away and these slaves are called a wandering people now, this is important because the Jews, they were a wandering people through the land of Egypt, and then they were enslaved, and their god was Yahweh, okay? Next, 1340 BC, we see right at the tip of the 18th Egyptian dynasty, two things, actually. One is that there's chariot spoke that a archaeologist, although this is disputed, took it out of the Red Sea in Nueva Beach, and he had it accredited by a prominent artifact historian, and they dated 18th Egyptian dynasty, and this artifact shows that there was chariots from that time period off the coast of Nueva Beach, and they found tons of them. But again, this is a disputed artifact, but then you have the cult of Akhenaten. What could change a pharaoh so radically, if not witnessing that your slave people, their god acting on their behalf, crossing a sea? How, what else can cause this? I don't see anything else. It's just random. Akhenaten starts worshiping a 10. Why is this? It's probably because the Jews showed some pretty strange stuff and print strange miracles and it convinced the Pharaoh to become. Now they say it was monotheistic. Some people dispute that but it doesn't matter. There's a change in the religion that shows that at least something new was added to the pantheon that wasn't there before. Then you have in 1250 BC a newly discovered thing is the altar at Mount Ebal which is exactly where it was supposed to be and it was patterned off of a Jewish altar. It had ramps instead of steps. They did some scientific analysis on the ashes found at the site. They found only kosher animals, although they did find some deer and some wildlife, but it was all kosher animals, showing that it was actually a Jewish altar. They found a lead tablet on it that mentions both El and Yah, and this is important because it's a huge thought up until now in academia that El and Yah were two different traditions that were merged together around 950 BC. This is actually not true because in 1250 BC, we have these two traditions right next to one another. Now, while I do believe that there were two traditions, El from Abraham, Yah from Jacob, at 
1250 BC and probably around 1300 BC when Moses would have been conquering Canaan and writing the Bible. This shows that the Bible was being written at this time too, which we'll get to the next thing. This was actually a concurrent proof that they were already merged the two traditions of Jacob and Abraham and also that this was an important discovery because they were worshiping the God of Jacob, Abraham, and Isaac from 1300 BC, which is right when the Bible was said to be written. And we know that the Bible was also written at this time because of concurrent late Bronze Age phraseology that would have only been found in Egypt in the late Bronze Age. So we can pin the Bibles being written around 1300 BC, so right at the time period when Moses would have been conquering Canaan. And even more evidence than this. I know there's a lot, isn't there? It's pertinent to understand that right at this time period, there's a late Bronze Age collapse. Can't be explained by anything except for plagues. And what did God send before the Israelites? Plagues. Not to mention there's about four or three sieges that are mentioned in scripture. Every one of them has been archaeologically discovered, including Jericho. There's a site of Jericho. They're all siege. This shows that these sites were actually conquered by Israel. And if this isn't enough, there's one more piece of evidence called the Merneptah Steel, which was erected around 1210 BC, which has the name of Israel on it. And likely the reason for this is that Pharaoh said he destroyed the seed of Israel completely. What he probably meant was he destroyed any record and censored the Israelites from ever existing. Okay, so now we get into other stuff because this was all the Exodus and before the Exodus. Now we're after the Exodus. And Kerbet Kayefia, they found a, a tablet, a clay pot, that had inscriptions descriptions on it from the law of telling you how to treat slaves nicely and praising God. And also there's Sinai 349, which basically is a censor against Baal worship. Okay, we've lots of evidence here. I'm gonna have to go over it all. Then jump forward about 200 years, you have a steel called the Tel Dan Steel, which has a battle written on it. Basically exactly what the Bible says it was King Jehoram was in the battle and it's exactly what the Bible says. And guess what? It says House David on it, the House of David, showing that there was indeed a second kingdom of the Davidic bloodline, which is important. So now we've established that the scripture was written in 1300. We're seeing that it's actually being written at the time period. Okay, fast forward a little bit more. You got the siege of Babylon for Jerusalem, which this is pretty well known and really not that disputed, but I'll go over it anyways. The Nebuchadnezzar Chronicles, which chronicles Nebuchadnezzar's sacking of Jerusalem. Fast forward about another 70 years, you get the Edict of Cyrus sending the back home and then you fast forward about another 300 years in 100 bc you get the dead sea scrolls which has isaiah perfectly preserved it's exactly within 99 percent accuracy of what we have today very few little things change but the important thing is that isaiah 53 is still in the scripture perfectly preserved it says exactly what's in our scripture today and it's clearly a prophecy of jesus and I find that to be one of the most revealing facts, that when we have these quote-unquote scholars saying that there are anachronisms in the Bible, this proves that those anachronisms are not actually anachronisms, but are fulfilled prophecies. On to the next thing, 31 AD. 31 AD, we know Christ lived and died because of two particular pieces of evidence. One is a work written by Phlegion of Tyrus, which is a basically reference to the three hours of darkness during the crucifixion. Now this is secondhand because it's written in someone else's work saying that this had existed previously, but it's pretty much, it's authentic. And the reason why we know this is because in China, there's another concurrent record from about 31 AD talking about the same exact eclipse happening 
happening at Passover, and this is the Chronicles of Guangwu, and they even prophesy Christ. They say, man from heaven died and covered the sins of all the people. Yin and Yang are reversed. It's amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. And this is actually in the Chronicles. You can actually look it up on the original text. It's still in there. It's amazing. I, I was dumbfounded. I, I, I didn't believe it, and I had to go look up the text to see if it was real, and it, it's actually really in there. And then you have another thing that proves Jesus existed. So we can't have people saying that Jesus never existed. A couple of things, actually. One is a Roman historian named Tacitus who basically said Jesus was crucified under Pilate. And we would know that if he had any reason to doubt this, he would have said Jesus didn't exist because they wanted to, they wanted to crush Christianity at this time. It would have been too easy to go out. They keep the records of crucifixions and stuff, which they did back then. It been too easy to go down there and see that this was fake. And he basically must have went down to the records of Rome and seen that Jesus was actually crucified under Pontius Pilate. So Jesus is actually exists, Tacitus of Rome. And then this was about 50 years after, but it's really kind of silly because, you know, there's really no historian that talks of contemporary events that much, especially things like this that are happening among the peasants. This isn't really something that's really big news to people, except for the common people. About 50 years later, it's typical that if it's creating enough stir in society, it'll be talked about. But it's only 50 years, people. It's not that much. And then there's Jesus sweating blood blood and pouring out water from his wound. Now this is consistent with a heart attack, the water coming out of his wound. There's a pustule sac that develops around the ribcage during pre-cardiac arrest. And then there's hematohydrosis, which is a condition of sweating blood, which is a disputed passage right now in the scripture, but it shouldn't be disputed at all because basically Jesus sweat blood. It's what happens when you get really, 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 really anxious. You can sometimes sweat blood and this would happen to Jesus. And there'd have been no way these two things could have been forged. Absolutely no way. It's just impossible. The people don't, even today we think of it having a mystical significance. We don't realize that this is medical conditions and people back then they didn't think to add those type of details. They didn't have compendiums upon compendiums and medical records and Google and things like that. It, it actually happened, which is also another reason why we can think that the Bible not myths being put together because that's kind of stupid because it, it just seems to be authentically the history of a people. And there's more people. We know who wrote the Gospels, actually, because of Papias. Now, Papias was, you know, considered one of the first popes. And Papias wrote down who wrote the Gospels, and he got this message from the Elder John. Now, the Elder John would be John the Apostle, who we see is living in about 90 AD to 100 AD. This is when Papias would have written this. So John very much was alive long enough to write the book of John. Not only that, Papias also says who wrote the book of Mark and the book of Matthew. Book of Mark was actually recreated through memory by Mark, who having talked with Peter, wrote down the whole thing. So Mark got his testimony from Peter. So an actual eyewitness. Matthew wrote his in Hebrew, and later it was translated into Greek by other Christians. And then Luke is pretty easy because basically Luke traveled with Paul and actually would have met these people because Paul pretty often met with apostles like James and, and John and Peter. They knew these people. They would have known the women too, which is interesting because we have four different gospels, each of them being independently written of one another. There's no actual source being pulled from. These are all from people's memories because 
because John the Elder says that, and it's important that we trust it because there's no reason to lie about it. This was John the Elder, John the Apostle, in his 90s or 100. Now, let's get into two of the apostles and their testimonies and how I can pretty much say that their belief is proof of the Bible. One is James the Lord's brother. Josephus records that James the Lord's brother died by stoning. And this on the testimony that Jesus ate and broke bread with these men, and he died for it. The Lord's brother. Now, you don't die for something knowing it's not true. That's not in human character. It's not like something a thousand years later where you just have faith. These people actually touched, lived, breathed, and ate with Jesus. And common misconception that Jesus actually survived the crucifixion, that can't be because of the testimony earlier of the heart attack. That's a, It's a death sentence. You're dead. And not only that, but we know that Jesus actually manifested to these people because of doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas actually touched Jesus. He actually touched him. And Jesus could have only but died. And doubting Thomas touched him and knew that this was his Savior. Now this is so important because it's just more proof on the testimony of these men that they had belief because Jesus actually resurrected. And it's important to notice that if you read Papias carefully, he says that he dictated the book of John by John's own decree. So not only did Papias get martyred for the faith, he might have actually been the one who dictated the book of John. And this is important as another and final martyr of the testimony of the gospel that it is true. Okay? I mean, there's a lot more than that that I've gone through, but it's just indisputable based on evidence basis that this story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is authentic. It's indisputable at this point. Anybody who puts it into question for you is just basically lying out their teeth at this point.